Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love everyone as I have loved you. Now, let's take a step back here. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. The law is comprised of two things, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, we had a longer pause there than we thought. We were going to get right back into the lesson. Instead, someone came to the church, graciously took us out to supper, and it's now like two and a half hours later, <laughs> it feels like. Do you get sleepy after you eat a meal? Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe this is a bad idea now to come back in and try to continue our discussion that we started last time about, um, see, now that it's been two and a half hours, I can hardly figure out. We should have just kept going. Anyway, right. no, we were talking about... Um, Legalism and the symptoms of legalism, and we talked about how it produces a self-righteous temperament. And you were mentioning that a lot of your reading is seems to be mentioning temperament, yes. right? Like yes. the idea of a disposition, basically, mm -hmm. that we're characterized by. Um, we don't want to be characterized by a self-righteousness like the legalist is, and we can put that behind because we talked about it. So we want to talk about... The other aspect of legalism which presents itself, which is this spirit of bondage, this idea that we still cling to the law um, when Satan is constantly reminding us that we're in this contract instead of in a covenant with right. God. And we're we all fail to keep the terms of the contract mm -hmm. if we think about it in a contract. Um, so the idea then is to think about the law in the right way, to not look at it as um, the means to gain our approval with God, but rather, as we said last time, that its implications are a result of what God has already done for us. Um, how can, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you brought it up in the last time we were talking about the spirit of bondage, how can uh, thinking about the law in the wrong way create in us a spirit of bondage? Well, uh, when you look at the law <clears throat> as being, I, I like how he put it, he put it uh, as far as divorcing the law from God. He says the law of God becomes uh, depersonalized rules rather than the word of a loving heavenly father. Uh, and when we look at it as simply uh, a list of rules, then, then there's no life to it in the sense that it, it, it makes you uh, feel that it came from someone who loves you. You just look at it, uh, uh, them as coming from a dictator who says, do this, and yeah. unless you do this, you can't be right with me. Right, and when we fail, then we think the solution is to work harder. Right. And then we fail, again, because we can't work harder. Mm -hmm. And we just get kind of get in this endless cycle right, of bondage. It's a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. Um, the solution to that is is just believing the gospel and 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 trying to uh, see that. I, I think this was a term that uh, I didn't mention. Um, what was it like by Charles Wesley that no matter how much sin is in us, there's more grace, more grace. in Christ. I mean, uh, that's that's Romans 5 and 20, isn't it? Uh, you know, where uh, sin uh, did ab does abound, grace much more abounds, and that word abound means super abound. So right. we can't sin 
uh, beyond God's grace. That doesn't mean that we should try. Yeah. I, I don't know if we mentioned this in the last one because we, you know, we were going to just continue and then we took that break uh, and had supper with Rick. Um, but here is the paragraph about being in bondage. And I, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, taking a break, about the first husband and the second husband, mm-hmm. like in the metaphor that the Bible uses, the first husband is the law, and it's mm-hmm. an abusive husband, and then Christ comes, but we're tempted to think back to the abusive husband right. and go back to mm-hmm. that person. Well, here's, here's kind of what uh, Ferguson talks about when we go back to that first husband and think the law is the way to achieve God's favor. We get despondent. Um, it brings about condemnation. And then this is the term that got me, because I think I've experienced this. This in turn becomes a creeping paralysis Mm. in our relationship Mm. to the Lord and brings with it a loss of a sense of pardon. We are guilty, failures, ashamed. We must do better to get back into His Mm. graces, but we keep failing. We cry to the law to show mercy, but the law contains no mercy. Mm. The law just keeps beating us up. Yes, it does. And and so the solution when we when we struggle with that is and look at ourselves as failure is not to look at the law, it's to look at look at Christ. Look yeah. at the and then look at the law uh, look at uh grace. Look at grace. Right. That's now, what I meant to say. <clears throat> we could have maybe tied this on to the last lesson and been five minutes longer, but we wanted to complete that. So here's the shift now. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, you used mm-hmm. the word abounds. Abounds, grace, right. Yeah. Grace mm-hmm. abounds. Mm-hmm. That's Romans... 5 and 20. 5 verse 20. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where the Merrill men ran into some trouble. Okay. Uh, they believed that anybody could be uh, given the gospel. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to repent first. And they viewed the law as the way we've described it, as implications of a covenant, not conditions in a contract. The problem that many have with preaching this is that when you preach this, you know, hey, when you sin, Derek, if you're you're feeling guilty, go to, it's all about grace, go to Mm -hmm. grace, you know, Mm -hmm. go to Christ, you just said that. Mm -hmm. Don't keep trying to work. Well, then what the accusation is, is that you're an antinomian. That word just immediately came to my mind as you were saying Yeah, so you don't believe in the law. You just believe in grace. So a Christian can do what? Christian can... Can do whatever they want, Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously that's not a principle that's taught in the Scripture. Yeah. What is is it? um, Free from the law, oh, happy condition, I can now sin with blessed permission or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, like that's awful, but yeah. But mm-hmm. that's the swing that everybody's concerned right. about. Mm-hmm. So in order to be careful from swinging in that direction, where where sin abounded, grace abounded even more, Right. but what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? I think that's right. Romans 6, right. 1. Mm-hmm. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Like Paul answers the question that everybody yes. has. Right. So if you preach grace, then what you're saying is the law doesn't matter. You can just sin. Isn't that what Paul is arguing there? That grace, you can do whatever you want. I'm saying of, okay. that he's arguing against that. Yeah, he's, yeah, I agree he's arguing yeah. against that. Okay, I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably because I'm full of pizza right now. And <laughs> I was on, we're, we're in such a mental focus, and then we take an hour and a half and enjoy fellowship, which was wonderful. But um, So how do you keep from... We both said... Uh, 
that we swing more legalists than antinomian. Right. Mm-hmm. An antinomian basically says, I'm saved, and now I don't have any obligation right. to the law. I can do whatever I want. Because? Because I'm saved because of the grace of God. Because uh, God is going right. to forgive me. That's right, and God's going to forgive me. Okay. What was the question I was going to ask? Um, how can we keep from developing that spirit? And maybe maybe a better question, forget that question. What relationship does a believer have to the law? Is the law binding to you and I as Christians? Are we still obligated to keep the law, or are we now free from the law and all of its demands? No, we, we, are, we are obligated to the law as long as we understand, first of all, that there were three aspects to the law. We're not bound by the ceremonial law. We're not bound by the civil law that was in the Old Testament, but we are bound by the moral law. And we know this is true because Christ taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. He even enlarged upon the Ten Commandments. He didn't create new commandments, but now he brought in the fact that not only are we going to learn about the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And the example of that, the uh, best one that I can give is uh, the, the, the letter of the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the spirit of the law says it shouldn't even be in your heart to do so. And ultimately, we're bound by the law, recognizing that it came from a loving lawgiver, and we don't want to offend him. Now, I've always thought that, and this is the danger of talking about a subject that you're not fully uh, grasping. Okay, so I say okay. that right away, that I, I still learning. I'm still learning about a lot of things, but I'm still learning here. So you mentioned the three dimensions of the law, the moral, civil, and ceremonial. Right. Now, he talked about that in this chapter, mm-hmm. but I was under, maybe I read the chapter wrong and okay. need your help. I, it, it was coming across to me that he was saying we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't separate, shouldn't separate or divide the okay. law. Did you? I, did you? I, I don't remember him doing that. Yeah. It. it let me see. He he was talking about the way this antinomianism displays itself. Okay. Um, and he he talked about one of those ways is the idea that here here here's what he said. Maybe I'm going to help myself learn. So. And help me in the process. Um, okay. This is bad because we're kind of learning on the fly. Um, antinomianism is arguing that any view, such as that of the Westminster divines, that there is a threefold division in the law, and that one of these divisions, the moral law, continues to function, is an imposition on the biblical text. Okay, so I guess what he's saying there is... That's what an antinomian will say, that we shouldn't do that. Okay. But we're, we're saying that we can and should, and we are not bound mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, shave our beard in a specific right. way, but we are bound right. to what we would call the, 
the moral aspects of the law. Yeah, the reason why I, I, I would say that um, we could still use that formula is because we understand the ceremonial law was given specifically to Israel to be a foreshadowing of what Christ would do or the Messiah would do when he came. Well, Christ fulfilled that. And likewise, in the civil aspect of things, that was uh, put in place for Israel to be different than all of her neighbors. But now we're in a new dispensation, and I believe that the only aspect of that law that's in force is the moral law. I think that antinomians would use that basically as an excuse to continue doing what they're doing. Well, uh, I don't have to worry about the civil law, and I don't have to worry about the ceremonial law. So that's the law, so I don't have to worry about any of it. Yes. Uh, but my question would be, in the Old Testament, uh, it said, thou shalt not commit murder. Is it still wrong to commit murder? And it was wrong before it was said to Right, it was murder. even wrong before, right, exactly. So I don't have, you know, I'm not saying I disagree with him. He knows a whole lot more than I do. Uh, well, I think, Derek, I might just be misunderstanding it. It's probably a chapter I need to reread again, and maybe we're going into a an aspect of, that we don't need to. So okay. I'll probably reread this again for my own understanding. But, yeah, 100% believers are obligated to the moral law because Christ described and enforced much of that moral mm-hmm, law, mm-hmm. which we still can't keep, right? right Who can't right. keep from hating his brother from time right. to time? Who can't keep from uh, the idea of lust, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. or anger, or these other things that the Lord expanded upon? Um, but what do they add to my justification? They add nothing to your justification. Yeah. Does it add anything to my sanctification? Uh Let's see, how do I want to answer that? That's a that's a loaded question. Yeah, it is a loaded question. I think, wow, I don't know. I think I, maybe I need to think about that a little bit more before I try to answer that. Maybe maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Does our sanctification add anything to our justification? No. No, because nothing adds nothing to our adds justification. To justification. Okay. So does the gospel dismantle the law, yes or no? Does the gospel? No, it, no, does, it does not. not. But the law, we are still... You know, but what about someone who says, I am not under the law anymore. I'm mm-hmm. under grace. Mm-hmm. And he gives the funny illustration of a guy who's speeding, mm-hmm. and you look at the speedometer and says, hey, pal, uh, slow down. He goes, I'm not under the law. Right. And then a smoky comes behind him and, <laughs> and uh, pulls him over or whatever, you know? So the idea, I don't know why I said smoky. It's just what, <laughs> it's what teens used to say when uh-huh. we were driving in a bus, and, and they'd say, hey, there's a smoky. Anyway, that was dumb. Uh-huh. Um, but they'll, they'll pull you over. Hey, you are under Michigan law, and you broke it. Um, so just saying, hey, I'm not under law, mm-hmm. that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fly. Well, I, I, may I say something here? Uh, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. please, go ahead. Okay. I would say this as well. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love everyone as I have loved you. Now, let's take a step back here. What does that mean? Hmm. The law is comprised of two things, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus refers to this as a new commandment, not that it is new do's and don'ts, but again, he is expanding upon the all old law and said, saying all of this is to be done by love. You want to obey God because of love. Yeah. You want to treat others properly because of love. So my question again is, are we under the law in that sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I believe that with all my heart. Here was the distinction that was made. The law is a rule of life for a believer, but it's not mm-hmm. a covenant of works. Right, exactly. What is the covenant of works? The covenant of works is, again, it's uh, in keep, uh, you're keeping some rules. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Lord, if I do this, okay, our covenant is this, that if I do this, I will be pleasing to you. Mm-hmm. And that is not, the, the, and with it being a rule of life, it's saying, you shouldn't do these things. So should because we never you say something like, we should never say something like, our obedience pleases the Lord? No, I believe our obedience okay. pleases the Lord. But we're not doing it to increase his right. favor of any kind? Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course, Jesus was accused of antinomianism far more mm-hmm. than he was accused of legalism, right. where he's eating with sinners and so mm-hmm. forth. Let's, let's move, we're running out of time, but let's move to the way that antinomianism is expressed in its greatest way in our culture. And he hits on this in the very last paragraph of the chapter, saying... Um, that antinomianism in a practical sense is the gospel of self-acceptance. Quote, Mm -hmm. since God accepts me Mm -hmm. the way that I am, what God wants is for me to be myself. Wow, wow. Someone once said, and I don't know if I read it in one of our books, uh, they all kind of run together after a while, but he said, uh, as it relates to uh, God accepting us as we are. I think it was Ferguson that said it. He says, God does not accept us the way we are. He accepts us in spite of who yeah. we are. Yeah. So that's a big difference. Could you imagine that billboard for the secret church on the corner? Because they always say, come as you are. Yeah. What, if it, what if it said, God loves you in spite of who you are? Who you are. Right. And, and these are couched in terms like, well, these are my decisions. These are my quote, lifestyle choices. And mm-hmm. since God is gracious and you're legalistic, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be accepted the way I am. I mean, that is, that is a distorted view mm-hmm. just as much as legalism. Right. That chases me right back to the garden uh, when Eve is considered to be a legalist. Yeah. But Satan convinces her by distorting the law right. and saying that he's just keeping this away from you because he doesn't want you to have it. And then she says, well... I can't maintain this, so the only antidote for this is antinomianism. Yeah, right. Let me go completely in the opposite direction. That's right. Well, who do you think are the people that are uh, are at the greatest, I guess, threat or danger of being an antinomianist? What I I mean, we're going to come to this next time, but who who in our not necessarily a specific person in our church family, but who are peop- who are those types of people that they're expressing an antinomian uh, attitude? I can think of one, like a person who says, who expects to go to heaven because they prayed a prayer and it right. didn't matter any mm-hmm. way they lived their mm-hmm. life, right? Mm-hmm. How many times have we asked a person, well, is your family member saved or, you know, and they haven't, like Ferguson talks about right. a guy who hasn't darkened the door for 30 years and a guy approaches him and shows him like a card that was right. filled out by the pastor right. and said, see, he's okay. Mm. That's antinomian, mm. right? Yes, it is. I, yes, you know, it is. The, it's the idea that I prayed a prayer or made a decision. It doesn't matter how I live my life. Mm. Mm. I mean, this book has zeroed us in on that. Again, I use that idea of a razor thin edge because mm-hmm. you can easily slip to the legalism and if you're not careful you easily slip over right. to the antinomian right and then and, and the danger of both sides is let's say for instance recognizing your legalism 
to then think that the antidote or the medicine for curing that would be the exact opposite, which would yeah. be antinomianism, right. as opposed to recognizing the true medicine, which is the grace of God. Yeah. yeah. And it is, we just talked about this over dinner, it is the grace of God, Titus chapter 2, that teaches us to say yes to righteousness, right? What, is, what does it say? The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So what is what is the motivation for denying ourselves sin and living according to the law? It is that the grace of God mm. has taught Amen. us that. The grace of God yes. is the teacher or yes. the motivator, mm-hmm. not you know, a freedom to just live however we mm-hmm. want or a, an adherence, a strict adherence to, a, to the law. Here's the way the, we could wrap it up, I guess, and, and we'll continue to talk. We have a few more chapters left. I think the right place to land on this is that we should be we should be seeking to live a spirit transformed life mm. that is in conformity to God's law mm. which is evidence of God's grace mm. yeah. in our lives right so yeah. we're we're our our response to God's law and our desire to live under it is out of love for him yes. and yes. a response to the gospel not an attempt to earn it and not attempt to just break free of it either because we can do whatever we want now because God has broken that. Is that good enough for today? Yeah, I think it is. I think we were a little... We were a little... Uh, uh, our tummies were full on that one, so <laughs> it, maybe maybe it sounded a little bit uh, dull. I hope not. I hope it came through good, and we'll, we'll end it there and pick up our discussion. I hope you'll join us on Friday. As we continue this wonderful discussion through the book, The Whole Christ, we hope and trust it's been a blessing to you, and we look forward to talking to you, Lord willing, next time.